Hey there, greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Bradley Rice with us from Houston, Texas today. And Bradley is what you call the quintessential tech guy. You know, he started Talent Stacker, but he's had years of experience within the tech industry. And he's actually one of the highest paid tech professionals out there. So we'll learn about his journey and how he got here and where he's going from here on. So welcome, Bradley. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. And I, I hope we can cover some topics that I think inspire the audience and help them realize, you know, there are a lot of options out there. Absolutely. So why don't you give us a brief intro about yourself and we'll begin from there. Yeah, I'll try to give you the quick version. Uh, so as mentioned, uh, currently today, I own my own company called Talent Stacker. And basically what we do is we help people land entry-level tech jobs. Um, there's a lot of people who talk about these remote tech jobs and all the opportunity there, but often people hear about it. They hear about remote jobs and working from home and getting into the tech space, but they don't actually know how to go from where they are today to being a tech professional. And a lot of times they think you have to be a coder or have a degree from you know some specific university with some specific computer science or something like that. It's not the case. It's actually much easier than most people realize, uh, but they don't take the time to, to figure those things out. So, so how did I get here? How did I get to this point where I thought I was capable of teaching somebody else how to break into an entry-level tech job? Well, it started with me coming out of college. I wanted to be a high school economics teacher. And I had a degree, but I was in no way prepared to actually interview well or apply for jobs well. And I just applied for every job on the planet. I applied for all of the teaching jobs, got literally zero interviews. Um, and then I started applying for just anything and everything I could find. And I tripped and fell into a what was called at the time a junior Salesforce administrator position, which was an entry-level tech job. And I made $35,000 in that first job. I had no idea what I was doing, uh, but I looked up six years later and I was consulting, making over $200,000 a year, working 20 hours a week. So there was a massive transition in that six-year period. And these jobs allowed me to really create a life where I could spend more time with my daughter, spend more time doing things I enjoyed outside of work. And that's what sort of forced me. I, I feel responsible to turn around and help other people understand how to get into these careers. Um, because to me, it seems almost like a survivor bias. It's a little unfair that I get to make that kind of money working part-time and other people are, you know, struggling to get by or worried where the next paycheck is going to come from to, you know, just get through inflation or get through increasing gas prices or whatever the, the case may be. Um, you know, it seems messed up that I could have that level of success on accident more or less um, while they, you know, grind hard, work really hard and just don't know about the opportunities that might exist. So when we talk about a tech job, what all does it encompass? You know, how much of it is purely on the coding end and what aspects are there out on the non-coding end? Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's one of the, the major misconceptions. Uh, most tech jobs do not require any coding at all. Uh, most people think that if you're in tech, you're a programmer or you write code. And it's just not true. And actually, um, moving forward, each year that goes by, you'll notice that these tech platforms, if you're in the space at all, you'll notice that they're releasing more and more what is called declarative or point and click functionality. And they are slowly trying to get to a point where they don't need as many developers 
and that more people can transition more easily into these jobs. And they've been doing that now for about 20 years. That has been a push. It's called Clicks Not Code, uh, has been a push for about the last 20 years. And I would say here in about the last three years, we've seen massive improvements on a lot of these uh, business platforms, um, like customer relationship management platforms that are allowing people to do less coding and more declarative automations and functionality. Uh, so if you want to be a programmer, don't get me wrong, they get paid you know, incredible money, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. But uh, if you don't have an interest in coding or you don't want to be a programmer, you don't have to be. So I would say percentage of jobs is probably you know, 30% coding, 70% other. And it's pretty obvious when you start looking at the types of jobs available. So just going by title, um, you have tech administrators. That's no coding. You have tech analyst. That's no coding. Uh, you have slews of junior consultants um, and intermediate consultants who often never write any code. And then there's this other job title called developer who does write quite a bit of code. That's their main job. And then you have people called technical architects who they may not write code on a daily basis, but they definitely need to understand it um, in order to you know, basically write technical designs. But I think that's going a little bit down the rabbit hole, but I just wanted to share some of those titles so that you can understand when you hear them, developers write code. If you're an analyst or an admin uh, or maybe like a junior consultant or something like that, you're, you may never write code. Throughout my career, um, I, I never learned development because it wasn't an interest to me and I didn't have to learn development to be successful in tech. So with Talent Stacker, do you focus on any specific technologies as such or are you pretty open to the gamut of uh, technologies out there? Yeah, so we specifically focus on Salesforce as a career path and as a platform. And the reason for that uh, is because Salesforce has been shown to be the most remote uh, job available. And also because that's the job that I had. So I feel much better equipped to talk to people about Salesforce jobs specifically. Um, of course, I could talk about uh, you, you know other spaces like Microsoft Dynamics CRM or maybe cybersecurity and things like that. Um, but that's not the job I've done for the last 12 years. So I feel much better equipped to talk about the Salesforce ecosystem. And the thing about Salesforce jobs is that over 95% of entry-level jobs, even entry-level jobs are fully remote. Um, and they are the fastest growing ecosystem. So right now they're looking at adding just over 9 million new jobs in the next four years. Uh, so when you look at opportunity and options that are available to people who want to break into tech, you're going to have millions of entry-level jobs in the next three to four years. And that means the door is wide open for anyone who wants to sort of push into the space. So in terms of your own background, how long have you been in the tech industry? Yeah. So I graduated college 12 years ago uh, in 2010. And that is where I basically got out of school, did not know what to do for about six months. I was very fortunate to, to get into a junior administrator position. Uh, and so I've now been in the tech space for 12 years. So that's been the first year I was working internally um, at a single company, just helping them with Salesforce for their company. Uh, quickly after that, I moved into working for consultancies and working for companies globally. I uh, did that for about six years. And then uh, after that, I spent three years operating my own independent consultancy, finding my own clients, working my own projects, uh, making my own hours. And then I created Talent Stacker just over a year ago uh, when I got to the point where actually at 31, 
Um, I'd saved enough money to retire. And so I decided I didn't want to do consulting anymore. Um, I felt a lot more passionate about helping individual people see the same success that I had had. Um, so I decided to turn, sort of make a U-turn and stop helping the companies understand how to use Salesforce and technology and switch to helping the consumers, the individual career job seekers, help them understand the technology so they could help the employers. So when you look back at your own career, how important was getting that college degree for you? It's, it's tough, right? It's, I, I want to say it's not that important at all because now I'm helping people land tech jobs, right? And so in the last 12 months, um, I think we just had 1,500 individuals we've helped land Salesforce jobs. So you're talking over 100 people a month. And the necessity for a degree has been minimized. And the reason for that is because you have, and, uh, and this is typical in the tech space, you know, regardless of what platform, there are certifications specific to that platform. And when you have certifications that are specific to the technology and skills that you need to have, it makes the degree itself less tangible. Like if you say, I've got a business degree in marketing and I'm trying to hire you to be a Salesforce professional at my company. And you say, I have a business degree in marketing. And then somebody else walks through the door and they don't have a college degree, but they say, I have two Salesforce certifications and this is what they are. And I go, okay, great. I'm hiring for a Salesforce professional. You have two Salesforce certifications. Those are very tangible skills that now I know you have knowledge that I can apply to this job role. I'd like to hire you as opposed to someone with a more universal understanding of business and marketing topics that might be applicable to a lot of different businesses, but not necessarily to the tool I need help with at my company. And so we speak to recruiters and employers globally every single week. I've got meetings on my calendar. And I like to ask them, how important is the college degree? And the funny thing is, they all still listed on job descriptions. All of the job descriptions still say four-year degree required or bachelor's degree required. But then when they're interviewing candidates and they're evaluating resumes, they never talk about what degree that person has because it literally does not matter as far as their ability to get the job done. You could argue a lot of points both ways. Are degrees valuable? There are a lot of cases for yes. There are a lot of cases for the return on investment isn't what it used to be. Um, but the bottom line is, I'm not saying don't get a degree, but I am saying you probably don't need it to land a tech job. You know, in today's world uh, where there's all these ATS systems and keywords and job descriptions and how close does your resume match up with the job description before you're even called for an interview, how does that work? You know, how tough is the job market out there? And, you know, there's a lot of confusion among people as to, do I really need to, you know, I had a certain career. I had a certain set of jobs. I did a certain set of things. Should I be out in the open with what I did and the next opportunity that I can get? Or should I keep tweaking my resume until I get that interview call? Yeah, to, to me, I, I categorize this in sort of the processes that we use as a company. Um, obviously, we think outside the box when we think about how do you land a job in the modern job market? Right. And the advice used to be, all right, have a really good resume, try to find a great recruiter, go on Monster Jobs or Indie Jobs or LinkedIn Jobs, and just search by keyword and start clicking, apply now, submit resume, apply now, submit resume, apply now, submit resume, and then just cross your fingers, enjoy the rest of your day and hope you get a call. And 
that's not how the modern job market works. Um, if you want to be at the top 1% of resumes in the stack, you need to act differently. And the thing like specific to Salesforce is that people get their first certification and they think that qualifies them for a job. But the fact is 70% of people applying for Salesforce jobs already have a certification. So by getting a certification, all you do is put yourself in the top 70%. That's all it does. So that's not, an, that's not gonna be enough to get you a job. So what do you do differently? You need to apply for jobs. And when you see a job that seems like a good fit and you truly are interested in that position, you need to follow that company on LinkedIn. You need to connect with a few of the employees, specifically employees who seem to be in similar job roles or similar departments with the same company. Connect with those individuals. There's no need to reach out to them and say like, hey, can you give me a job? Hey, I applied for a job. Hey, can you help get my resume to the... They don't owe you anything. You don't, All you did was connect with them on a social platform. What right. you should do is when follow those individuals and when you see them post anything, it could be about a job opening. It could be about what they had for dinner last week. I don't, I don't care what they're posting about. Say something as a comment on that post. Share that post. And don't just say, hey, cool. Like comment with something meaningful, say something insightful about what they posted about. And the reason you do that is because LinkedIn is such a, you know, it's really no shade against LinkedIn. But the fact is, LinkedIn is kind of a dry social platform. When you look at Instagram and TikTok and Twitter, LinkedIn's kind of dry. It's a professional social platform. And so you get far less comments as a creator, you get far less comments, you get far less shares. I mean, you don't have nearly as many people like creating meaningful conversation around your post. So when you do that, when you as the follower go to someone who creates a post or a company that creates a post and you actively engage with that, they will notice. I promise you, they will notice because in their notifications, it's pretty common for them to get a bunch of likes or something like that. But for someone to engage with them in a meaningful way saying, wow, this looks incredible. I would love to work for a company like this. Um, I'm actually on the market right now. Um, and I saw some job openings that I applied for. So wish me luck. And if you just say something like that, you're not pressing them, but you're just saying, hey, wow, this looks incredible. I love what your company's doing. Then all you're doing is building a network, you're building a relationship, and you're showing a lot of very positive engagement. And that's what you need to be doing for jobs that you really want. Don't just click apply now and hope they call. You need to find other ways to get in front of the decision makers. You know, for someone like, you know, someone who's trying to get into a, let's say, entry-level Salesforce job, um, to understand the ecosystem itself might be pretty overwhelming. How do they do that? And how do they end up uh, going from there to actually being productive and uh, on, on the job, you know? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good question. So um, I'll give a quick plug. So the reason for this is because we have a ton of free resources to help people do just this. And, and, and what I tell people is first, you need to figure out if you even want to be a Salesforce professional, like ignore the fact that you get paid over $70,000 entry level working from home. Ignore the fact that within two years, you will be making over a hundred thousand um, dollars. Ignore that. Ignore that you work from home. Ignore that you get respected for your skills. First, we need to figure out all the sizzle sounds great. Like all of that sounds great. But we need to figure out if you even want to do this job. You still got to work 40 hours a week. You still have to be involved in this career. Do you even want to do it? So what we did is we created a five-day course. It takes about, I would say, three to five hours to complete. 
And what you're going to know by the end of that course is what is Salesforce? How do I fit into this? What would I be doing if I were a Salesforce professional? And how do I get started breaking into my first role as a Salesforce professional? And you can find that at talentstacker.com forward slash now. Um, so if you just follow that link, it will take you to that. You can register and you're going to get a five-day challenge and a ton of other free resources to help you see if this is even for you. Now, to answer your question, once you get to that point, now you know, okay, I took the five-day challenge. I feel good. All right. I like this. This is pretty interesting. I think I'm going to keep moving on this thing. So you continue forward. The five-day challenge sets you up for um, continuing you know, all the way to landing a job. You're going to know everything you need to know to land a job, but you've got some work to put in. Mm-hmm. So you follow that path. Now, by the time you get to the end of this process, you're going to be Salesforce certified, which is going to make you reasonably confident in your skills. You're still going to feel like an imposter, but it looks good on a resume and you're going to feel a, a little bit more confident about your ability. Now, you're still entry level. You still haven't done the job before. So the first thing is when you're interviewing and when you're applying for jobs, don't, don't fluff anything. You need to communicate with confidence but don't try to mislead someone to make it look like you have more experience than you have because you're going to have to show up on day one and you're going to have to prove to them whatever your talk track was, right? And so you need to be honest and you need to be transparent. You show that you're motivated. You show that you're focused, you're dedicated, you are ready to learn, you are ready to be successful. You don't need to be one in a million because there are millions of jobs available and there are probably only about 10,000 people applying for these jobs. You don't have to be incredible. You just have to show promise. And so if you get the certification that shows promise, once you get on the job, they're going to train you from there. So you need to show the focus. You need to show the motivation and the promise. And then they're going to hire you and they're going to continue to train you. I would say expect, expect about three to six months of ramp up where they're going to be showing you how their business works, where you fit in exactly. And the cool thing is Salesforce specifically has a very supportive community ecosystem. You'll find that on LinkedIn, on Facebook, um, on Twitter, on TikTok, pretty much anywhere. And you would be surprised at the number of people willing to hop on a half hour phone call with you, no strings attached, just to help you understand what you're doing at work, help you solution for a problem you might be seeing. And the only expectation from the community is that if you're going to take and you're going to ask for help when you need help, when you're two years into your job and you feel confident, um, the community really just asks that you turn around and help some people with those 30-minute phone calls that are trying to get their start. Um, and that's not facilitated by anyone. That is truly just the culture of the Salesforce ecosystem is take when you need to take and help others when you're in a position to help others. And it creates a really healthy community. Awesome. You know, people are talking about the great resignation where a lot of uh, experienced people are either resigning and, so, and there's also talk about people coming back onto jobs and such. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we are, we are living in different times now, right? We are also hearing about layoffs and such. So in, in, in this kind of a culture, you know, how are entry-level jobs still thriving? And especially at uh, the kind of pay that you're talking about. Yeah, well, I think there's, there's a few different aspects of this. And I kind of enjoy um, economics and the markets and, and sort of how things move. Um, and then obviously, I have a lot of passion behind what we do at Talent Stacker with helping people break into jobs. So I, I like to stay on top of these things. Uh, so, so there's a few different topics here. Number one, great resignation. The typical reason that people were resigning is because, number one, they were not being paid 
what they deserve to be paid. They'd been sitting in roles getting 3% raises for the last 15, 20 years. And you had people who came into entry-level jobs making $40,000 and they look up 15 years later and they're making $75,000. And it didn't make any sense. And when you looked at it on paper, it was like, this is ridiculous that people have been in roles for 10, 20, 30 years and they're not being paid at the rate that their experience allows them to be. And then with the pandemic, we had people going remote in masses, right? Like everyone went remote almost overnight. And I think they realized what all the hype was about when you heard about people working from home and the remote work and the flexibility and all these things. And they had been working in an office kind of going, yeah, I'm sure that's nice, whatever. I like it in the office. I want to be in the office. And then once they got a taste of being at home, they went, oh my gosh, I don't want to be in the office. So then we came to the back end of the pandemic. You know, We're still coming off that tail end. But when companies started saying, all right, time to come back to work, time to come back to the office, that definitely was a catalyst for that great resignation to say like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've been doing great work from home. How can you possibly demand I come back into the office? If I want to come back, great, but you can't force me to come back. And all of a sudden we felt entitled, like it was part of our freedom as employees to have a choice. And employers were saying, no, you don't have a choice. We own you. And employees didn't like that. So they said, you know what? You don't own me. I'll quit this job. And not only will I quit and I'll find a work from home job, I'm going to find a work from home job that pays 20% more than what you were paying me anyway. And then people start talking about it. All of a sudden we had Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and people sharing their stories and podcasts like this, where people can come on and they have a platform to say, Hey, I'm not one in a million. I'm just another person. And this is absolutely possible. And I think it encouraged a lot of people to go, you know what? Maybe I don't have to do what I've been doing for the last 20 years. Maybe I don't have to go into the office. Maybe I don't have to accept a pay rate where I'm going to work and I say, I I should be paid more. And then you do nothing about it. Maybe I can do something about it. And I think that caused the great resignation. Now, the cool thing about tech jobs is that they already were high paying. They were already remote and the culture was already there. So when people were resigning, and moving to new industries, guess which industry they were flooding to? Ours. They were flooding into Salesforce jobs. They were flooding into tech jobs. And what do you know? The tech industry is the you know, highest demand industry that we've seen in the last 20 years. It's still booming. So there are still millions of jobs available that there was simply no talent. We had a massive talent gap for no one to do the work. And now, finally, we're seeing people interested in moving into the space and realizing oh my gosh, it's not programming. I'm not a tech genius. I'm not you know, this nerd sitting in an office staring at a computer. Like There is more to this. I'm a business professional that helps companies streamline their businesses. And that's pretty cool. And I think that's what led to this. And I'll answer the last piece of your question, which was layoffs. And uh, yeah, I think that's an unfortunate part of any economy, right? You, you, you can't just continue forward in a growth economy for and you know, an infinite period of time, you are going to have constraints and pushes in different directions. But I think what you'll find is if you go back to the 08 recession, recessions and economic, I'll say tightening, uh, is not flat across the board. So you don't see all industries tightening down. Um, what you'll see if you look back then would probably be financial in- institutions, um, the housing market, obviously. Um, And those are going to be your two biggest hit areas. Now, if you move over to the current, what I would call a recession now, 
um, I think you're going to see other markets getting hit and it's not going to be even. Um, now, the tech space, I think people are, I think tech is sort of a front runner. So people like to pick on the front runners and say, oh, it's not as great as it seems to be. But when you look and you, uh, you go to companies like Carvana mm-hmm. and you count that as a tech industry, it sort of starts to get interesting, right? Because it feels like technology because you're ordering the car online, but you're actually talking about used car sales and you're trying to group that into technology as an industry. And I think we just have to be careful about how we categorize. And I would say that we've seen massive inflation in car sales and used car sales in general. Um, So we're not talking about Carvana being the only one hit. Um, You're talking about an industry getting hit. And we're going to see multiple industries getting hit. But what, what you'll find is that with technology, this, this is the industry that allows companies to scale. This is the industries that allow companies to be more efficient, that allows them to grow their company without hiring more employees. And I think you'll find that technology is actually much of the answer to companies uh, being successful during a recession and during things like global pandemics. Um, so, might you see some tightening and some company layoffs and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to happen. Um, what I let that make me fearful about trying new things in my life and going after careers that I think I might enjoy more than the one I have today? Absolutely not. There's always going to be something to be afraid of. Um, and you've got to get past that so that you can you know, find, I think, find the things that, that you value in life. Awesome. So, Bradley, let me ask you this: You know, with with the changes that are happening within the tech industry, uh, for instance, low code, no code platforms, uh, AI and ML, um, there's also this brewing doubt, if not a fear, that what's going to happen to uh, the techies of today uh, that are actually hands on 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 a lot of these technologies, where with the self learning programs and self evolving programs as we go into the future. What do you see as, um, you know, what do you see happening? You know, is there still opportunity for technologists into the future? And how is that going to evolve or change? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And, you know, we predicting the future is always a, a finicky thing to try to try to do. Um, I would say, number one, that you're talking about advancements in technology, mm-hmm. uh, which make technology more valuable. And so... My fear would be if I was anything but a technologist, right? I would be fearful that everything manufacturing, that everything um, that is not the person who is designing the technology or helping facilitate the technology, I would be most fearful for those individuals who are not involved in the space because those are the ones who are probably going to be being replaced by technology. Now, I think that if you see technology booming, you'll find that humans in general, historically, we're extremely innovative. And just because we have machine learning and artificial intelligence and computers doing more and more on their own each day, we don't tend as a, I'll say the human race, we don't tend to step back and go, well, the machines have it covered now. I guess we'll just go lay in bed and you know, eat pizza. Like we, it's just not how we function. Right. Uh, what we'll do is we'll see that we'll allow machine learning and AI to replace a lot of the more mundane tasks that we have. And then we're going to go out and push for things that you see today, like advancing to other planets or cleaning the current planet that we're on or streamlining processes like 
traffic and flights and transportation in general, I don't think you're going to see the need for tech talent reducing. If anything, I think you're going to see more of the mundane jobs being replaced in the technology space. And those individuals who are in those roles are going to need to uh, continue to learn and continue advancing and growing their careers so that they are continually on that new frontline technology. And that's the case already today. We don't need AI and machine learning to, to do that constantly. You know, uh, Salesforce administrators are having to retrain for new functionality that comes out every year. Developers are having to adjust to uh, new needs for different types of integrations and APIs and uh, code updates and and everything in between. So um, if you're in the tech space, be prepared that you're going to have to have a growth mindset. You're going to have to continue to learn and push forward each year. Uh, but as long as you do that, you're always going to be on the forefront of what's next. Um, the worst thing you could do is, I think, not being technology, not advancing yourself, not seeing the clear path to growth, and just praying that whatever job role you're in today is still there 20 years later with no vision and no indication of how you're going to you know, help hedge your bets, I guess. Makes sense. Well, thank you so much, Bradley, for joining us today and sharing your perspective on technology and especially the good work that you're doing. What's the best way for people to reach you in order to learn more or in order to connect with you so that they can get engaged in the next evolution of technology? Yeah. So, so the best way to get in, in touch with me is the link I mentioned before, talentstacker.com forward slash now, and we'll shoot you an email. If you reply to that email, there's real people. I will see that email. Um, our support team will see those emails. So you can ask anything. You can ask you know, what kind of car we drive, or you can ask what, what we think is going to happen in technology in the next 10 years. We're happy to respond. If you want to talk to me directly, uh, just head over to linkedin.com and you can find me at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Brad force. And if you search that, you can look me up Bradley Rice on LinkedIn. You'll probably find me too. It's the super bright orange background on my picture. Um, send me a message. I do reply to everyone. It might take me two or three days, but I promise I will get back to you. Um, so yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with me. And yeah, I just wanted to say, you know, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm happy to come back anytime. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much.